I'm Mark Steadman, and I'd far rather be happy than right any day. I'm John Hickman, and it's somebody else's problem. I'm John Bands, and, well, this is all your fault. You realise that? It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard. From the outpost, this is Beware of the Leopard, your A to Z of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, did we do anything fun over the holidays, gents? Yeah. Cool. So on to the first. Topic. I've missed the show. That's what's happened to me over the holidays. I missed you too, buddy. No, I missed the show. I just... <laughs> oh, the barbs, the sh- as Danny would say, the shade of it. Yes. I just, I just never do anything fun. I just never do anything Aww. cool. Sometimes I do things that are fun or I consider fun, but I don't think I ever do anything that anyone else considers but, but cool. But now that you've got a child, you don't do things that are fun for yourself. You do things that are fun for the child. Um, well, we try not to do that either. I mean, you're on the <laughs> we've all watched. Uh, we've all watched Bandersnatch, which I'm sure Douglas would have liked. Yeah, but have we watched all of it? I know. I no, I haven't watched any of it. That's fine. Um, just don't choose Frosties, whatever you do. <laughs> and now uh, I think it's about time for a scrap. The best way to pick a fight with a Celastic Armour Fiend of Stritarax is to be born. They just don't like it. They get resentful. And uh, when an Armour Fiend gets resentful, someone gets hurt. They were the first race who ever managed to shock a computer. The computer in question was Haktar. Uh, we talked about him in an earlier episode, and they commissioned him to build an ultimate weapon, which almost led to the destruction of the galaxy. <laughs> Again with these guys. Celastic Armour Fiends work off excess stress by punching a sack of potatoes. John B., you seem... An entirely chilled dude. What is your secret? Bisoprolol, uh, five <laughs> millilitres, um, first thing in the morning. The drugs do work. My body is a rattling temple. <laughs> um, Show title. It's, uh, I, think I have the, uh, the heart rate of an Olympic uh, long-distance runner. I, I don't know what... what the, I think the main way to keep chilled is to keep problems in perspective. Mm. Or, and I think oh, teach it's me. quite easy. Well, once you understand that almost every problem in the world is the fault of the capitalist system, <laughs> it's really, really simple. Um, you don't get pissed off about people doing the wrong things because they've been cha- they've been made to do it by capitalism. It's not really their fault. You don't get pissed off because the bus is late. Well, you, well, at least you know where to direct your anger at the capitalist system. If your feet shoes don't fit, capitalist system. If you're a bit cold, capitalist system. If your uh, Netflix thing isn't quite working and you can't download the apps on your phone, <laughs> capitalist system. It's all it's. It's very, very simple. Just direct your ire at, not the individuals per se, but the system. Uh, but the easiest way to change the system is, of course, to hang, shoot, draw and quarter certain individuals. So when you're saying, um, much like, uh, you know, to, to a builder, you know, every, every hammer looks like a nail or whatever, whatever the phrase is, uh, which is not the phrase, <laughs> to, to a communist... <laughs> every looks like a to a builder, every rose has its thorn. <laughs> to, every, to every communist, a season turn, turn, turn. The solution to every problem look, looks should be a hammer and a sickle, essentially. Yes. Does it work for you? The sort of like punching a sack of potatoes. Have you ever had a stress ball? <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely have pent up stuff, but it's not like and squeezing your ball doesn't help. No, no, it's it's it makes it makes me more angry if anything. I, yeah, I I haven't found the outlet yet. That I, I think. I think what what mine is it's it's like a pressure valve on a uh, or like a steam valve on a pressure cooker. I think every now and then I have to go and yell at someone from Virgin Media in order to sort of bring me back to an equilibrium so that I don't explode in a in a uh, an absolute 
puff of passive aggression. Isn't a, isn't a stress ball what a 14-year-old boy tells his girlfriend he's got that's going to kill him if she doesn't jerk him off? <laughs> I'm not sure if I This is a recurring topic for you. <laughs> blue balls, yeah. Ah, blue balls. Blue balls. You're the only person I've known that's ever goes ever mentions it. I've never heard of it. Really? So, uh, Mr. Hickman, how do you, like, what, what's your thing? How do you work off stress? You run, like, you're a proper... Well, I didn't say anything now. That's, that's fine. You've, you've, given, you've, pre- you've presented my answer and you're, you're correct. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't do that as the host of a podcast. I really shouldn't set up people's questions and then answer them immediately. John Hickman, your answer to the following question is running. What is your answer? <laughs> is this that too runny sketch? Is he now going to answer the question you asked him before? So, John, the the selastic uh, armor fiends. Following on from your uh, your in- interesting uh, <laughs> approach, but this is all being this for the capitalist system. Is are they essentially? Um, trapped in the capitalist system and they're the military-industrial complex. Is that kind of part of your thesis here? Well, they certainly are part of the military-industrial complex, but I don't think... I think it's, there's a little bit of nominal uh, nominative determinism going on here. Well, they were named that by their mums and then they became that. If you call someone silastic armour fiends, <laughs> they're not likely to end up to being a, I don't know, a um, a flower-arranging group, are they? No. And uh, uh, But I th- they are... Well, we know in the story, that they are manipulated by Haktar. I think Haktar manipulated the... Um Oh, the, uh, the planet of cricket, yeah, by by sending the uh, the spaceship down, and, and that's what it did. But from from what I remember, if I've got my story correct, he did that because Haktar. Uh, sorry, he, he did that because the Celastic Armor Fiends wanted him to build an ultimate weapon and he said he'd failed and then he managed to do it and then he fulfilled his purpose and dispersed into the galaxy. So they, but they need to go, they need to continue going to war to, um, to continue, um, production. Are, well, are we suggesting that they are, um, part, they are fulfilling the, uh, Markov wave and the, uh, theory of creative destruction oh so they're creating markets by ah by through war i see I well see. that's the that is one of the um what's one of the the moments what the markov waves um indicate as in uh stereo lab tell you in the song ping pong but no they they are uh i think that's the problem isn't it that they be, Hactar built an ultimate weapon and an ultimate weapon is problematic it's like the the atomic bomb is problematic because you, you build a weapon that you essentially can't use, that the military-industrial complex can't use, because it doesn't create, it doesn't do limited destruction and creating markets and creating uh, room for regeneration. It doesn't do that because you, it's too scary to let off. So um, they've they've got to find a way of uh, continually selling that one, and the, the sort of arms race is. Uh, very you know kind of interesting in that respect that you keep building them keep building them keep building them don't use them keep building them keep building them you can't use them but you've got to have a bigger one to stop you both using them you've got to have that oh and the ones we made you 10 years ago have gone off yeah they've gone they've gone off they've got that sort of cd rot that means when you get your cds down from uh, the <laughs> loft when you finally get a polaris out of out of its case <laughs> it'll have just gone a bit crackly and uh, it'll skip at the start Oh, it's on the turn. It's on the turn, John. It's on they the turn. They never, ever have said that you could smear jam on them. And now to a brace of Simons. 
Simon Brett produced the pilot of the radio show and has produced episodes of other radio classics like I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue, Just a Minute, uh, and more. He now writes detective fiction and had a book made into a film starring Michael Caine. So, there's that. I'm sorry, Mark. I'd like you to, st- I'd like you to speak for a minute without uh, deviation, hesitation, or um, the other one about... <laughs> About Simon Brett and his production of the radio programme. Just a minute, please. Simon Brett was someone who produced a radio television programme. I'm not entirely sure why I said that second word there. But oh, what did I get wrong? I think a radio television programme, that's a deviation from reality, surely. Well, I was I was hoping to loop around and, and correct it. I made it about 20 seconds. Yeah, I'll accept that. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. 152 seconds left. Simon Anthony Brett, OBE, uh, was born hesitation, in Worcester Park, Hesitation, Surrey, England. hesitation. Mark Stebbin, 48 seconds. He was born uh, in a particular time, which we are not quite aware of, because some of us haven't read the Wikipedia article, or rather have not necessarily perused that particular item in, say, the last few hours before having written the script. But to get back to this gentleman in question, I can say his name Simon Brett because that is allowed as part of the rules. He produced a number of things. Beep. I don't, I don't know what the thing that I'm beeping you for is, but you just you just met met a conversation about it. Is repetition of repetition of produced. Okay, uh, it's with you then, John. Really, uh, with 27 seconds left because you gave the reason. Simon Brett's sitcom After Head. Henry was eventually reproduced on ITV, starring Prunella Scales and a man. Bing! Uh, I'm, I'm dinging you just because you're reading it, and that's not part of the rules. I'm not reading you're it! You're definitely reading it. I'm not reading it! I know about After Henry! John Bounds with the Wikipedia again. Yep. 17 I'm seconds left. I'm not reading left. it! Oh. All right, we, all right, check if, if, I, if I was reading it, I would have said the name of the actor <laughs> rather than a man okay then uh, okay then mr mr hickman to whom are you going to give the benefit of the doubt stepman 17 seconds well as well as making those things he also wrote fiction of a crime nature now i have not read any of these books but i did take a little look through the list and it does seem that they're quite an interesting set of novels perhaps novellas i'm not entirely sure beep, 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 beep. and uh speaking as the whistle went which meant i get an extra point Sorry, i should have whistled but i can't no it's fine <laughs> um so uh, i'm indebted to my producer ian messeter and uh it's at this point that we go on to an even more fundamental simon Simon Jones played Arthur in the radio and TV series and the Magrathian security hologram in the film. He's appeared in lots of little bits of telly over the years and was a dear friend of Douglas. Now, uh, another Jones, uh, also um, very familiar with the uh, radio series, um, was a major uh, fixture of the early radio series of Just a Minute, and that was Peter Jones, the voice of the book. He was on a lot of Just a Minute back in the day, as I remember hearing, but we're not talking about him, we're talking about Simon Jones. The Recently I watched um, the uh, Graham Chapman one-off sketch show uh, called Out of the Trees. Wow! Which was the first thing, it's on YouTube, which was the first thing that Douglas uh, really wrote, because mm. he wrote it with Graham Chapman mm-hmm. and just after uh, he, uh, he left. And it does start off with a very hitchhiker's idea of zooming from the world to in, it's, it, I'm completely paraphrasing, but mm-hmm. in the universe, what many suns on those many, as we're opening those many suns, many planets, and on just one planet, the humble British rail sandwich. <laughs> um, 
And uh, but uh, I, to be perfectly honest, it's not very good. Mm. Um, and I didn't watch the whole get around to watching the whole thing. But Simon Jones is uh, basically the star of it. Mm. He's um, he's in a lot of the sketches, and um, he just you can see the sort of um, you can see Arthur Dent cranking into life really, mm. with the idea that um, Douglas always said that he did write um, Arthur for Simon Jones, mm-hmm. whether or not he's based on Simon Jones anyway. <clears throat> Is, is a, a different point, but um, he is the definitive Arthur. He was, it's, it, it, it was, Arthur, he was, it wouldn't, Arthur wouldn't have been Arthur like that if he, um, if he mm. wasn't him. If you just, I just found the bit in the, <clears throat> in the Adam's biography about um, Simon Jones's eulogy, mm-hmm. where, where he addresses this issue of whether or not Arthur was written for him or, or, or whatever. So, oh, Simon Jones, Simon Jones's eulogy of Douglas Adams. Yes. Because Simon Jones isn't dead. Yeah. At the time of record. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> So, so this is this is an account from uh, Douglas's funeral. Apparently, um, Simon Jones took the took to the lectern to say goodbye to Arthur Dent's puppeteer, and then this is a, a quote: uh, "He said he'd written the part with me in mind. So for years, I've tried to get to grips with the problem of how I always saw myself and how Douglas apparently perceived me, a befuddled Englishman abroad, forever in search of a decent cup of tea. Only in the last few months, though, I've realised that the truth is somewhat different. Arthur may, in fact, be Douglas himself, the man who perhaps could never quite get the hang of Thursdays. The more I think about it, perhaps it's my vanity that made me think he had indeed written the part for me. I was, in fact, performing Douglas. What a lovely thought. Hmm. Lovely is the wrong word, but a sort of melancholy... Um, a bitter, bittersweet might be might be a better word for it. Um, to, a, a way to look at a, at a friend and say... You know, sort of, we miss you, but you you never quite cracked life, did you? You like you never quite got it. Um, and and to sort of have that moment to be able to have it said, uh, I think is um, I think is a, a great because there are people mm. like that. Um, I, I feel I certainly feel like 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 that is that just don't quite know what the cheat codes are, <laughs> and and um, yeah, for for someone to see you in in that regard with affection, I think is it's one of the best ways to be sent off. I think I I, I don't know why I've become maudlin, but um, yeah. So before we crack on with the next bit. Um, we all have our, our social media presences and, uh, you know, btlpodcast.com uh, or twitter.com slash um, but, um, what, what do we think? Obviously, we talk a lot about what would Adams have, have made of, of this, that and the other thing, but I think it is worth looking at what would he have not just made of social media, but what would he have made on social media? What would his presence be like um, in the sort of fixing this and the sort of mid uh, to late 2010s era of of the social network? Would he have quit one of them? Would he have flamed out? Would he have Stephen fried um, and sort of imploded? Uh, would there have been a scandal that would have driven him out of the social network in question? Uh, or, or would something else happen? Would he just be having quite a nice time and being gregarious? What do we think? Just just to be clear, you don't, you're not insinuating that there could be a, a, a scandal that would bring the House of Adams down. You're, you're more sort of saying his exasperation at one of the big ticket items like a Brexit or a... Or a, or a whatever might lead him to. I mean, I was I wasn't suggesting that he did anything in his life yeah. uh, that we know it that could have been a scandal. But you know, there's a lot of his life that we don't know about. And uh, as in, um, in this alternative 
future, uh, this alternative version of of the uh, of the present. Let's say that he did, you know, something for which he had to apologise for. It could be on any scale. Well, so we we know that um, we know that he would uh, in, in his later part of his life he was definitely tinkering with new ideas and new technologies and things like that. So I, mm. I think we've got to assume that he would. Have- probably have been on Foursquare. <laughs> um, Would you not have been on Go Walla? Because that was, you know, the underdog. That was, that was. yeah. Um, and he probably would have had a Twitter account early. Um, he would have been on Pluck. Someone added me to Foursquare yesterday, by the way. The, um, so I, there's, a, there's a beautiful uh, little bit in the Salmon of Doubt, the sort of collected miscellaneous writings mm-hmm. that was published uh, posthumously. And um, it's a review I don't think anybody commissioned the review, but it is a review of um, a little portable computer thing. Mm-hmm. Like a Scion handheld or something. Yeah, that's some, something like that. And he's written the review on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he's he's talking about how I haven't got my Apple Newton or whatever it was with me. And I'm sitting and I'm writing this. And it is perfectly possible to type with the thumbs. And he does... Uh, he, he suggests so he's not doing it because he wants to he's doing it to prove it could be done that's how um, reviewers write about iPads at the moment but that that's a sorry that's that's going into the weeds about a different thing but that's exactly the thing that's happening at the moment where a bunch of people are are, do, are, are bending over backwards to prove that you can do real work on an iPad even though you can't but yes yeah no it's exactly the same wheelhouse yeah yeah, yeah I, 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 I see the, the the echoes there yeah and he he, um, he brings up and this might be a, if you wanted to have an argument with those people this <laughs> might be a good thing to bring up the um uh, Bramwell Bronte, the uh, Bronte brother, mm. the less talented Bronte. <laughs> the one they keep in a cellar, yeah. He well, he they didn't keep him in the cellar as such. I think he was station master of a small, uh, now beaching cut uh, <laughs> station somewhere in the north of England. <laughs> so he got benched. Um, okay, yeah, but he um, he died leaning against the mantelpiece to prove it could be done. <laughs> he thought, I'm going to die now, and leant against the mantelpiece until he did to prove that you could die leaning up against the mantelpiece. <laughs> I mean, that's, that is. John Bounds, you've said a lot of bonkers things, but that is the most bonkers thing I've ever heard you say. Well, no, he did say that stuff about shelves that time. <laughs> I, 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 that's the other thing I'm thinking of. That was number two. In, in with a bullet. Um, this, this is, this is definitely number one. <laughs> but, I, but, it, but I, that's. What I'm bringing up is the fact that <laughs> at some point, Douglas would have painted himself into a social media corner just to prove that it could be done. Yeah. Whether or not whether or not he would have flounced away from Twitter due to its commerciality or the Nazis <laughs> or whatever mm-hmm. and said, right, I'm going to start my own uh, microblogging service. Mm-hmm. You can all come and join or something. And it wouldn't have been very good, mm-hmm. but he would have taken enough people with him. Yes. Apparently he did in the early days um, contribute a little bit to um, H2G2 and also uh, turn up in the um, in sort of hitchhikers fan forums every so often and people would uh, make him prove that he was who he said he was um by saying something about him and quite often i think the point was that he didn't know as much about himself as the people who were asking him the questions so that was quite difficult well, have you heard this i don't know if we've covered this before but have you heard this thing about george rr R. martin has a couple of super readers who he has to phone up and say in the next book the following thing's going to happen oh wow and they go no george that can't that can't happen because of continuity and he goes okay so how about this? And they go, yeah, no, that, that'll work. And he goes, all right, then. And he goes back to it. Cause essentially he's been writing the books and never reading them for 
30 years or whatever. Well, I, I can understand why you wouldn't read them. Come on, they're no... It's unnecessarily they're, harsh. Come on, they're no girl to keep the hornet's nest, are they? I don't know. I've not, I've not, I've not read them. They're all, they're all about dragging, shagging each other, aren't they? Just because something's popular doesn't make it rubbish, I promise. Honest, it's good. I haven't, I haven't read a book with a dragon. I haven't read a book with a dragon in it <laughs> since, since I was, I was five, a child. And I'm not starting there. <laughs> well, we, we all know about what I think about books with dragons in them, obviously. <laughs> Especially if they're tattoos. Uh, open sandwiches. Yeah, exactly. Um... It's always got to come back. So, yeah. Um, Stephen Fry is still on Twitter. Um, he, he keeps flouncing off uh, and on again. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, could, I could see I could see Adams huffing off. And, and like you said, John, I, I think I could see him sort of branching off into his own hitchhikers. I mean, in much the same way that Danny talked about uh, the, the hitchhikers like a class uh, in a sort of D&D or board game or a ro- role-playing game sense, I could see there being um, a nice idea in the same way that I think they used to, f- we used to have that sort of internet subculture in certain places that people who used certain websites had that shared culture and, and maybe there wasn't necessarily a, a collective noun for them, but I think, uh, apart from nerds, but I think that used to kind of exist, you know, people who were on Twitter, not just early adopters, but were a, a, a special sort of sort. Um, and I like the idea that he could have created a social network where the hitchhiker was like the sort of the name for the person who used that site and and you almost had a you you could you know you might catch a reference that someone else said oh my god are you a hitchhiker yeah yeah we you know what's what's your username or or whatever um and then there's something nice in that that he might have created and and it it probably would have been good but it wouldn't have been popular or or that successful and probably would have had to have got shut down or or um put on archive.org or, or, you know, sold to some kid to try and run it uh, for a few years before it um, slowly collapsed like a flan in a cupboard. It's an, it's an interesting conversation to have purely because we we know he was um, encouraging innovation in this kind of web space. And we also know that he's kind of time boxed to just before things started getting to the what became called Web Two, so he, he's kind of like he's he's there's a there's a small part of the internet that is forever message boards and mm. the way we used to do things and Douglas is very much there, so mm-hmm. he may have been totally left behind by it all. He may not have been able to get the paradigm shift and the change in the metaphors and and the, the way it worked, mm. or he may have he may have surfed with it. We it's 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 really really hard to tell. There's a there's a phenomenal um, there's a phenomenon phenomenon. Is it something like a phenomenon? Whether or mm. yes, whether or not Douglas was on the the social media anyway, um, he would have been in the sense that he uh, exists as a, a prism of uh, other people's thoughts about him anyway. So you can you can already see like thousands of inspirational quotes he's made um, floating around the floating around the, the web every so often, and uh, whenever um, I'm trying to find something to. Uh, pad out uh, <laughs> at BTL podcast Twitter <laughs> account. I might often think I can do that um, because it's the sort of thing people like. <laughs> but um, I think it'd be quite fun, actually. Let's only tell the listeners. Let's start making them up. Oh, make up some Douglas ad- aphorisms. In fact, the listeners can help. If you want to uh, email us, hello at btlpodcast.com. Um, um, yeah, feedback, I think, I think it is. 
feedback at btlpodcast.com. I, I don't think I've got a wild card. Don't tweet us because they'll see. <laughs> yes, of course. Keep it secret. You can Facebook message. I know I know some people do. So uh, feel free to, to Facebook message us as well. Or uh, you could probably DM it on Twitter. That'll be all right. And don't, and don't tell us whether they're real or not. And we promise not to check. Yeah, there you go. We'll just, we'll collect them all. And we'll, um, we'll have them bound and, uh, and printed um, and, uh, and made into a podcast. And now this. Max Quadlepleen welcomes a group of young conservatives from Sirius B to Milliways on the Night Our Heroes turn up. I was thinking about that when I was uh, writing the script. Is it, I actually do. Uh, this thing gets written. Um, I, I, I sort of boxed myself into a, a strange corner thinking about the Night Our Heroes turn up. But because it's in a time bubble, isn't it every night that aren't? Mm. Well, no. the way Millie Ways works is that it's it, it's its own timeline. So there are a sequence of days and nights, ah. and and universe endings, and, or sittings, sittings, yes, sittings, yes, <laughs> covers. I, I think this is I think this is covered in text, but it's if not, it's certainly my headcanon is is that there is always another sitting, but they all happen to take place in the same. It's 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 the dot in the Jeremy Beremy. That's where that's where Millie Ways is. <laughs> That broke me. Does, does, does it make it in terms of its n- most kind of neat sci-fi term? Is it basically a pocket universe? Is that? Yeah, I would say so. It's it's a time bubble. Like it, it just it is a time bubble. It's a it exists within its own bubble bubble of time, um, and so uh, it can roll itself back and forward across the rest of the universe's it's timeline. Back and forth and, and check out its gravel beep, pit. Beep, so, it's, beep, so, so it's less a, less a, um, a time bubble, more a time weeble. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if it falls down, then we're screwed. Uh, right, okay. Mr Hickman, um, what do you do when you come across young conservatives? <laughs> do you spray them with raid or try and trap them um, between a big bowl and a chopping board? Are they Are they shy? Young conservatives, or well, it's it's that thing is when you yeah I think they must be because when you turn the light on they all scatter in different directions. I, I don't I don't know if young conservatives fit into the British Rail sandwich um, paradigm. Ooh, because I don't I don't believe that they're real outside of popular culture. <laughs> Ah, interesting. I can't say I've met one. Well, the thing is, they've got to start somewhere. Hmm. They've got to start being conservatives they somewhere. Have. I mean, I like uh, the, the. I guess the Billington Club is the kind of the the, the nadir yeah. of, of of what this idea of a, yeah. a conservative is, and you always you always hear about them in the, yeah. doing similar things to the classic Billington Club Club lot. But is it is it a function of the places where I've been and the people that I know that I've never met them, or do they just not really exist? Now, um, we're actually uh, we're going to talk about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy for a bit, so I hope that's okay, um, because it's now time to go stick your head in a pig. 
The Sirius Cybernetics Corporation were a bunch of mindless jerks who were the first against the wall when the revolution came. When I first came to the series in the late 90s, the obvious analogue to Sirius Cybernetics uh, was Microsoft, especially in the age of Clippy. Uh, but obviously Douglas was writing about something very different at the time. Given that he wasn't yet a technophile, uh, as far as I'm aware, when he started the series, uh, Mr B, do you think he was writing about Big Blue, as in IBM, or just railing against technologies or even corporate entities in general was there wasn't really a lot of reason to rant against ibm was there not in the way that uh douglas would have done there are plenty of reasons to rant no, i guess not plenty of reasons to rant against ibm particularly their role in the holocaust well, we can uh, move fairly swiftly over there uh, yeah, sure. deliver their uh, creation of technologies for the sorting of jewish characteristics in order for the nazis to more fast speedily exterminate people but but no one ever got fired for buying ibm john no particularly not goebbels <laughs> this is bad we shouldn't do this I'm, I'm, I'm making holocaust jokes by proxy like i said apart from albert speer no one ever really got in trouble for buying ibm so uh it's unlikely that really that ibm uh was his target i think it's possibly very possibly it's more likely to be the bbc if anybody really mm. oh yes because th th if you think about it unless it, the bbc would have been the largest technology company that you would have ever come into contact with and particularly how much douglas would have been trying to get inside that monolith and at this point he had um you know had his jobs as sort of jobs as middling after you know really trying to get writing stuff ended up being a sort of middling producer and not really knowing how to run the news quiz and stuff mm. um and seeing his friends understand the bureaucracy and climb the the sort of pole and um and things and there were this is my thoughts anyway there were the um, I think you know it's SCC. You know what I mean. It's kind of a three-letter type of thing. Corporation. It's it would allow you to bring in anything about um, the um, I don't know the electricity board or British Rail or the Home Office or trying to get your bank to do something. But I'm I wish I could. I, w I, I yeah. I wish I could actually get some proof of the idea that I've just come up with <laughs> that uh, Douglas was talking about the BBC. I think Head Cannon accepted on that one. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is amazing. Partly um, just because of the not just the style of the writing and the and the uh, cleverness with which he was able to not too closely adhere to um, certain tropes from the time, or maybe it's because everything old is new again, um, that it was so, so readily adaptable to that period of, of history with Microsoft, mm. uh, especially, um, who were kind of hapless. You know, the story, and lazy comics still do the same sort of British Rail sandwich uh, jokes about Windows now, and, and, you know, Clippy still gets a mention every now and again. Sometimes even lazy scriptwriters uh, who, who run A to Z-based podcasts uh, put them in. But it, it genuinely, at the time, they really were the company that they couldn't get it right, bless them. They couldn't make an operating system that worked. And then they kept coming up with these cutesy concepts like Bob and Clippy and um, Genie and a few of these other little things that would pop up and try and uh, help you with things that you didn't need help with. I think just to sort of tie your your comments to, to, to John's comments, though, Mark, it's... Um, if if we were looking to um, sort of say, was Douglas actually talking about technology companies? Actually, the the technology companies that that touched him were more scrappy upstarts than 
big monolithic corporations anyway. So the the, the it, because it was pre Microsoft, it was that period of it was that kind of Wild West period of of mm-hmm. building an OS and building a machine and getting it out there. And yeah, you probably weren't even really building operating systems because an operating system is sort of agnostic to a thing. You you were building the actual machine, and that you know you were writing the code that ran on that machine you weren't writing an operating system that could run on generic hardware uh, so yeah absolutely um it, it was more of a uh, a time of of, of wide-eyed optimism um perhaps uh demonstrated very very aptly in the uh, television show halt and catch fire yes exactly <laughs> and then to kind of take extrapolate this further if we had a, a millennials pod, uh, podcasting uh, um, millennials uh, panelists on the show mm. they might actually so kind of uh, they might read this through a lens of your facebooks yeah well it, it would have to be a post because i'm i'm still a millennial wow. um, you, no no i don't know i I, mm, I am by the definition I, absolutely mm, yes yeah gen- yes mm, i am yes mm, by the actual yes i am um <laughs> i heard they don't i heard they don't drink and eat avocados so i've changed my mind <laughs> I've changed my mind. It's not the BBC. It's Ronco. Oh, it's uh, um, it's it's things like the they've made a I don't know an an arse pumatic or whatever to wipe <laughs> your uh, bum or a thing to a vacuum to vacuum your vinyl or uh, it's useless gadgets, isn't it? It's like the innovations catalogue. He's having a knockout. Oh wow! Oh, like the Mister Popeil and all the the stuff that used to be on. Um, Early morning TV here in the UK, oh, all the infomercials, yes. which I think we've oh. talked about. Yeah, yeah J- J- JML uh, and J- all these companies. Yeah, yeah. It's, th- it's the things that you would you would have seen at that point um, advertised in the Daily Mail on Sunday supplements. Yes, alongside the uh, plates of Princess Diana <laughs> before she was born, that sort of thing. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's it's, it's, it's Ronco or KTEL or Russell Hobbs. I thought Russell Hobbs actually made like okay normal things. Well, yeah, but it's ob- it's obvious that at some point Douglas Adams has had a tease made him. And now to someone whose name is not important. Slarty Bartfast is a planetary architect who won an award for his work on Norway, played by Richard Vernon in the radio series and the TV series, and by Richard Griffiths in the third radio series. Uh, On Earth, Ford and Arthur find his signature on a glacier. He picks Ford and Arthur up in his somebody else's problem uh, shielded ship so they can join his mission with a campaign for real time, and he has a name that sounds a bit like a swear word. One of the things that I thought of when I was listening to your eloquent speech about who Slarty Bartfast is. And it ties back to the thing we're talking about with Simon Jones as well. And it ties back to all the different times you've mentioned people who have been in the show and asked me what else they've been in. <laughs> is there is this thing. There is this thing within not not Hitchhikers as a as a universe, uh, but within Hitchhikers as a as a family of performers and artists where um we saw people um, kind of own a character for a, a long period of time and own them across media. Um, and clearly there was a lot of love for the, for the text and for the projects and, and for each other within that group of people. Um, I just wondered if this at this point we could just reflect on why these people went from radio to TV and then didn't really do much TV. 
perhaps after that? Is it because they were they were radio people first and foremost, or is it because the Hitchhiker's TV show wasn't well loved? Um, what 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 happened? Why were these people not bigger? That's a really good question. I, I was thinking about Simon Jones earlier, and um, there, there are only a few things I can I can think that he's been in, and, and you know he had a, a small part in Blackadder. Uh, he played Sir Walter Raleigh, um, and he said a, a few things like that. I mean, the probably the biggest success out of the main cast is Jeffrey McGiven, yeah. who we've talked about a lot and consistently works. I suspect. With a lot of these, they I think a lot of times people go into management and they go into things that are related to the industry. Um, you know, so they, they've had their time behind the mic or behind the camera and then they go into uh, agency or things like that. I think that that's fairly common. There's so many of them who got who got to cross that that chasm from BBC Radio to BBC TV. Mm-hmm. And like the narrative is supposed to be that once you do that, mm-hmm. you you've made it. So I don't know though. This got to be you, the- you do your Cam- you do your Cambridge Footlights. Mm. You get a little bit of work on Radio Four, and you you get your TV deal, and then you kind of then you're part of the part of the family. Then you're then you're the Bush people. Then you're um, yes, okay. So to Stuart Lee, do you know what I mean? It's it's that kind of we we're more yeah. used to that narrative, and this seems to be an outlier in the sense of nobody really stuck. Well, I, I, I would I would say. I mean, yeah, okay, Je- Jeffrey McGiven works consistently, but he's not, like, uh, a megastar. That's fine. I wonder, there's a there's a couple there that I think, to it, it, and, and it will sound unkind to say, but I think they are possibly just too limited. Um, you know, I, I think Mark, Wing's a- Mark Wing Davey, uh, I, I would struggle to think could really pull off much considering that as i've mentioned before he sort of forgot the character mm-hmm. between the first and second radio yeah. series and so I, I i don't think you're necessarily looking at someone who's going to be vastly adaptable um richard vernon was i think possibly heading towards the end of his career uh you know he was already he, he passed away when they came to do the uh, adaptation of the of the the book uh, and do, do the what became the third radio series, as had Simon Jones. Um, you know, he'd had a pretty successful career. Um, sorry, uh, Peter Jones, uh, I should say. Sorry, had a successful mm. career. Um, so I think a few of them actually were leading lights at the time, um, but were more at the slightly the, the, the tail end of their career. And I'm, I'm sure um, I know John Bounds hasn't spoken for a while. I'm sure he'll have, he'll have some some thoughts on that. But uh, yeah, there, there does there does remain a, a question there certainly of why at least one or two of them haven't gone on to to do bigger things. Wait, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe they just the faces just didn't fit or yeah. two faces. <laughs> well, I think it, it it's most probably. I do think it's got a lot to do with typecasting actually because. It's, um, they've come out of, but this Hitchhiker's show was going to be the biggest thing. It was huge budget at the time, <laughs> particularly for BBC. It's amazing com- to think, but yes. Particularly for BBC comedy. And the the reason, apparently, that the goodies had to move to ITV. Yeah. I think, but and yes, it wasn't very successful. And there wasn't anybody offering anything new because or maybe this is because they were essential look for the most part really good character actors mm-hmm. yeah you I, know what i mean they, they probably mm-hmm. were and did some good character acting 
work You're right, actually. Um, One of the shows that I I listen to um, occasionally, uh, well, they they often do um, almost every week uh, what they call Tinsel Town Stiffs, which is basically uh, a send-off of of people in Hollywood who have died um, that week. And a lot of the time, one of the the, the guys, uh, the guy who puts the show together, he will pick lots of character actors. And the case is so often, this is so often the case that he will say, you don't know their name, but you'll have seen them in everything. And I think um, there were a few, a few people like that who were sort of cartilage in a lot of TV shows, like um, John Robertson or whatever his name is. Oh, John Thompson. John Thompson, thank you. And so if if you take someone like Stephen Moore, who played... Uh, Marvin was possibly saved by the fact that he didn't like the robot, so he wouldn't go in it. Um, so he was never he was never on screen. Mm. Um, but he went on to be a successful actor in in quite a few things. And again, they were kind of character pieces. Um, you know, he, he played very different people. You know, you look at Clockwise; he was that sort of lovely, hapless music teacher. Um, and so I, I think actually, yeah, you've you've nailed it, Bounder, in that they were character actors and they don't go on to become megastars character actors don't they go on to be incredible um linking you know linchpins of films but but never the they never carry the the full weight but isn't it quite sad that you're with sort of 20 30 35 years out from the tv show being made Mm -hmm. and um for all that it didn't do what the bbc wanted it to do for all that it was unloved Mm -hmm. it was out on blu-ray at christmas um, and it's mm. still being bought and it's still being watched. And mm-hmm. maybe these people, uh, take, even taking on board what you just said about them being, you know, character actors or jobbing actors in another word, it's like this, this is a British television Shawshank. It's something that came out that wasn't loved that grew. But, uh, you know, it is that it was, it is something that's a bit of a, a sleeping hit. Sleep, sleeper hit. Yeah, my, yeah. My my take on that is different because I I still don't think it's very good. But that's yeah. I, I'm aware that I'm I'm probably the the outlier on that one. Not only, but I think I think we just live in a different era. There isn't simply isn't as much television. Uh, it wasn't as much television being made. Oh gotcha. So if you wouldn't, if you were not the star, and you didn't get the star vehicles, mm-hmm. you weren't um, going to be in that much television. There simply wasn't that much television being made. You take, if you weren't in Coronation Street two nights a week, or you weren't in, um, Minder or, um, The Gentle Touch or something, you had a very, you know, you could appear as a, a villain in Minder or a bit part in, mm-hmm. um, The Sweeney, or you might get killed in an episode of Poldark <laughs> or, you know, down a tin mine or something. But um, you might um, you might have had some of the trouble at Mill in one of the many programmes that featured exclusively, as far as I could see, trouble at the Mill. <laughs> so, you, you, yeah, so they're not going, they weren't going to be stars. They weren't producing their own material. They weren't, they, you know what I mean? They weren't beautiful. Yeah, I suppose the... Um, Mark Wing Davy could have been uh, considered beautiful for the eighties. He might have got another sitcom if someone had written him one. The here's, here's the thing that I don't think. I don't think Slarty Bartfast's name sounds that rude. No, no, I don't either. I don't get no, it. I, 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 Does it just sound a bit like fast? I don't. know. I think it's got it's got the it's got some of the syllables of a few words, and so I think it, it's 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 probably that. But no, I like when I when I heard the name. I, um, cause that, that was, that was supposed to be the, the thing, wasn't it? That he, he wrote it because it, uh, he, he wanted a word that sounded rude, but I, I'm, I'm with you. When I, 
heard the name, I'm pretty sure I um, at least chuckled or, or snorted or something out loud. And, and that is, uh, as much as I know I go on about, oh, the radio series is canonical, and blah, blah, blah. When you get to hear it and it's the first time you come across that name, um, you know, it's it's wonderful. And it's a shame for people who haven't heard Richard Vernon in his sheepish way say... My name is... My name is Slotty Bartfast. <laughs> I beg your pardon? Slotty Bartfast. Slotty Bartfast? I said it wasn't important. It's beautiful and when that's the first time you've come across that name it's it's just such a lovely just a just that gentle little punch to the rib cage it's just like it's 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 wonderful and so yeah and in all his regenerations after that the doctor pretended that his name was a secret that he couldn't tell <laughs> john what are you on about so um the character of the doctor the the the, the famous time lord and and i should use that i should use they not not he now um doctor who right? doctor who yeah uh, I mean, we might get letters of complaint about saying that. Yeah, because that's not that's not the, the he's the Doctor. He's not Doctor Who. There is a debate about this, and some Whovian scholars say that you can refer to the character as Doctor Who. So I don't want to get into it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a kids' show. Let's move on. Who? So the so the the Doctor refuses to give their real name, and says it's a, it's a it's a thing you can only tell special people. My so my contention to you is that Slarty Bartfast is the Doctor. Which is a which is a, a popularised idea, and probably probably would now there would be some sort of shared Hitchhiker's Doctor Who universe by now. Well, we if, yeah we've if, we've covered this uh, in that, uh, and I don't, I don't mean like yeah, look, we've on, covered this. On. <laughs> we've had this conversation before. Um, uh, we, we we've 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 had this chat. Um, he so the the, the third book, um, which I always remember forget the name of, which is Life, the Universe, and Everything. I. Th- Thing yes um, yes thank you is uh, was uh, purportedly a failed or a, a, an unused I should say Doctor Who script and the uh, so the whole the whole concept the whole story of the cricket robots and everything was all written for Doctor Who and that's why Slarty Bartfast has got this weird agency that he never had before. Um, in that you know he suddenly found this new this new life, and it's also why there's a, a sort of a weird moment towards the end where Trillian actually does a thing which she hasn't done in any of the books. She's just been there and slightly, um, I don't know, irritating. But she actually goes and does a thing, and that was again what the Doctor was supposed to be doing because those are the moments where the Doctor really does pull it out and actually does something actually which Slarty Bartfast wouldn't necessarily have done. Um, and so, yeah, and uh, so, so basically, yes, um, that is why there, there is an analog there because that that character got used for that that thing. Yeah, the the, the new, if you if you read the um, the cricket robots attack at Lords with that in mind, you can see it matching the beats of of Doctor arriving just when a bad thing is happening and going oh blah blah yes tell you later come here oh there's my ship it's hidden you know all those kind of the scp field is very very tardis like it's it's a it's a police box uh and so you know it would have been the same thing oh look a police box has uh has materialized on uh lord's cricket ground uh and he would have had the same fun you know they they probably would have got henry blofeld and someone else yeah. uh to record the commentary um for the tv show and yeah 
Uh, like it, it, once I think once you once you read that, you sort of go, yeah, it, it, all of it makes a lot of sense and and definitely feels like like something that um, that would have been done. And with that, uh, we are going to leave you. Thank you very much for listening. Um, if you'd like to uh, help spread the word and tell people about the show, it's um, it's it's sort of laying the groundwork because it's it's not going to move uh, mountains at the moment, but it will help us in about 10 years' time when everybody's using the service. So if you go to podchaser.com and uh, look us up um, and uh, give us a, a nice little review, that will mean a lot because the more people who do, the more people will find the show and hopefully enjoy it uh, for years to come. So go and do that, podchaser.com and um, find us there and you'll find lots of other lovely podcasts as well uh, on Twitter you will find John Bounds he is at Bounder and you will find John Hickman at John Hickman and you won't find me on Twitter um, but you can visit my website if you like steadman.io and read my blog and stuff it's fine uh, well th- yes as uh, as ever we will be back next week with a whole raft of new topics so until then share and enjoy This podcast is produced by Podient. To find out more, visit podiantproductions.com. Oh, I wonder if I can get an Alexa skill to drive my desk. My desk has got an app to move it up and down. Of course you can. Of course you oh, can. Oh, fantastic. I can't wait to try that. Uh, is it, there's probably a bridge. The Harmony Bridge will do it. There you go. <laughs> Alexa, standing desk mode three. <laughs> Alexa, stop! Isn't the Harmony Bridge where dead rabbits go? No, no, the Harmony Bridge uh, c- connects um, Thor to uh, Earth so he can come and see Natalie Portman for a date. <laughs> John hasn't seen it. I've seen the bridge. No, he was talking about a different Scandiwegian <laughs> story. Oh. I, I'm loving the idea that, that there's there's a murder halfway across the Bifrost <laughs> and that Loki has to team up with... Um, Somebody with a with with a non disclosed um, kind of a, a m- mental learning problem uh, <laughs> to make them more interesting um, because that's what we need to have these days on TV. Oh. Of course, you'd be on the spectrum because it'd be the rainbow bridge. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Netflix is turning it into a interactive show.